if you're trying to avoid a debt after it's happened, then too late. But if your intention is asset protection beforehand, then it's very different, isn't it? So the big question is this, how investors like us who weren't born with a silver spoon successfully investing in property to create a passive income and still have a lifestyle now? That is the question this podcast will give you the answers. I'm George Markoski and welcome to the Positive Property Show. Our mission is to empower 10,000 people to create financial freedom through property using the Markoski method. Join us. Hello everyone. How is everyone tonight? Tonight's all about asset protection, guys. You know, it's a big, uh, it's a big thing. It's important to a lot of people. And basically, if you're going to be building your empire, you want to protect your empire. And Adrian is part of the circle of safety. So, guys, you know, he's here for you guys. And I've spoken to Adrian, and because of the circle of safety, we're going to be organising um, something really special for you guys tonight that uh, Adrian's gonna offer you guys being live with us tonight, which is pretty cool. So we're talking about asset protection and this is our monthly SHERP. And what I'd like to do is I wanna sort of kick into high gear. We're gonna go in a little bit quicker. I'll do a quick summary of what we did before and then go through it all. So Adrian, welcome. All right, thank you. I'm just, um, uh, I'm just, just making sure that I'm on uh, live again. Yep, fantastic. So, so let's just go through um, where, where I was saying before, uh, and because um, I understand that we've got some new people and, and and some not. So, asset protection is very easy if you do it beforehand. Um, asset protection is very uh, is, and keeping your assets is very difficult if you don't do it um, like beforehand. That's, that's what it comes down to. Now, I've got a client at the moment who has a very large property empire, huge, like worth a lot of money. And um, he has acquired this property over a long time. And it's a total mess. There's, you know, he's got dozens of properties in his own name, some across other entities, there's loans. Uh, and uh, it was unfortunately did really badly out of the um, uh, COVID lockdowns last year, had some commercial tenants who have stopped paying, um, lost a lot of money, lost. Uh, and um, uh, now I am uh, going to save him very large amounts of money and help him keep the furniture, but he's lost um, insane amounts of money. And now he can afford to pay me a lot um, because he's very wealthy um, and well, he's now become a lot, a lot less wealthy, but we're, but we're uh, saving that. Now, kind of what we're, um, uh, the amounts of money he's paying me is, is mind blowing because of things are so complex and there's so much money at risk. Now, if um, uh, I've only been working for, for him as a client for, you know, a number of years, seven years, and and is uh, accumulated properly a property, you know, over forty years. Um, and uh, like if I'd been working, if he had structured things in a uh, a reasonable way, or you know, in a as a protective way, over that time, probably wouldn't need me, or probably wouldn't need this advice. Now, so uh, 
if you are really, really wealthy, you know, you can probably afford to burn huge amounts of money um, at, if you, you know, and do asset protection at the last minute. Uh, on the other hand, if you're, um, you know, if you're reasonably successful uh, and, you know, you don't want to lose your assets, it's, it's so much worth, more worthwhile doing it ahead of time. And even reasonably successful isn't, you know, maybe you've got a couple of properties. You know, maybe you've got, you know, um, I had someone who lost um, a whole bunch of money and some business interests uh, and, um, and their business partner uh, sued them. I, um, in fact, I've got a lot of war stories. Things are doing bad at the moment. Um, you know, uh, I said this in an earlier, um, the earlier session that I would say about 80% of my clients are doing exceedingly well. Like just the last 12 months have been like just the best that, that, that they've ever had. I had one client who did, you know, his, whose sales increased three and a half thousand percent when, when lockdowns happened, happened because they sold something online and, um, and it was something people liked. Um, on the other hand, you know, there's about 20% of clients that I see who are doing really badly. You know, if you're in, in airlines, you're on travel, uh, you are in a very bad position. And so, you know, you could be affected. Um, so uh, I've, um, uh, I've uh, dealing with a client at the moment and um, uh, uh, he's, um, uh, he became a, uh, he, he actually had um, his things fairly well protected or, or he, he didn't have a lot of, um, uh, uh, he, he wasn't doing anything really risky. Um, and um, so you know, he has some assets in his name and um, uh, now uh, uh, a couple of years ago, became a director of a company you know, wasn't tremendously involved in it. They ended up having a, a falling out with the, um, other other members, and now he's suddenly being sued for a large amount of money. And we're scrambling to move things out of his name. Uh, so, um, scrambling at last minute, much harder. Now, I mentioned before that um, like the easiest strategies, you know, strategy number one is you want to hold something in your in the safest spouse's name. So now I'm a, uh, I'm a lawyer and I have, um, you know, uh, so as a professional, I'm at risk. I'm also a director of a number of, of companies. So therefore I'm at risk there. Uh, I'm at risk of being, uh, I'll repeat what, what I said before, is I, I'm, I'm at risk of being, you know, we're having adverse tax debts of being seen as a shadow director of being sued professionally. Um, and therefore I'm a risky person. Uh, my wife, she works in hospital. She's a speech pathologist. She, um, uh, she is almost at, at, at nil risk of being sued. Now, uh, if in five, 10 years time, she decides to, to run a business or, do, or change her careers, then we'd need to look at, at what she's doing again. So asset protection is something that you need to constantly think about um, you know, if you're, when you have a change in life circumstances. So you know, I, we bought a house, uh, it's in my wife's name. Uh, I own nothing. Um, just like um, uh, George mentioned, the uh, the Simpsons, um, Mr. Burns doesn't own anything. It's owned by a canary. Now, so I'd like to make a quick summary, just for people that didn't join us at the last session. So what we did is we spoke about um, different occupations and we spoke about how owning a business, being a professional, being a high income person can 
leave you vulnerable to getting sued. We also spoke about, as Adrian mentioned now, is that being doing asset protection early on and also getting the right expert is very, very important because you can save a lot of money and a lot of time by doing it right from the beginning. Because like Adrian said, once the, the horse bolted out the gate, it makes it very expensive, very difficult, if possible at all. Sometimes it's impossible because what happens is they can actually go back you know, 12 months, 18 months before after you've set up a trust and actually dismantle it or something like that, can't they, Adrian? Yes, yeah, that's that's right. Um, so if you um, yeah, if you're suddenly doing transactions just before bankruptcy or, or before a company goes into liquidation, um, it could be undone six months, eighteen months beforehand. So you know, whereas if you transfer um, assets, uh, if you always if you bought it to start off in a, in a family trust. Um, that can't be undone. It was always that way, even if you go bankrupt later. Uh, but if it's in your name and you transfer it into a, into a family trust, that transfer can be undone, like, like as if it never happened. Yep. So that's why the earlier you do it, and, and obviously your intention when you do it is the important part. Because yes. if you're trying to avoid a debt after it's happened, then too late. But if your intention is asset protection beforehand, then it's very different, isn't it? Correct. Correct. Um, and, you know, uh, and you, you do these things for a number of purposes, asset protection, um, uh, for tax and for estate planning. So, you know, and so, um, you know, you're going to want to make sure that you put things in your in, into a trust. And so you could say this trust will go to my first child and the second trust will go to my second child and, and so on. And that way, um, uh, you know, what's the reason why you're doing this? Well, is it to evade creditors? No, um, it's, it's for like legitimate asset protection. You, know, you want to um, keep a, a different a distance between risky assets and passive assets. Yeah. And property is a passive asset. It's it's not risky. No, where business uh, it's, is a risky asset. A, a business, a being a professional, um, that that's a that's a risky asset. You know, or 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 even being um, or even having a bad relationship is a is a is a uh, is a risky asset. Mm -hmm. Yes. So um, basically, what we're trying to do is quarantine the risk away from the rest of the income-producing assets and all the other assets. Is that correct, Adrian? Correct. Yep. Absolutely. You mentioned before that you can actually create a uh, a trust and get tax deductions at the same time. Yeah. So so we went um, before we went through a. Um, uh, a, a family trust, and so let me let me um, bring up the whiteboard again. Okay, so uh, and I just saw a message um, saying, um, "Will I go through the uh, benefits of a uh, family trust?" Uh, well, yeah. So let's 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 go through this. So there's advantages and disadvantages of, of this. So uh, so let's say. We have a family trust, trust, and this owns some property. Now, uh, the family trust is going to borrow, let's say this is $500,000 and, um, uh, and uh, you've got say, what, um, $100,000 equity and you've borrowed $400,000 from the bank. Uh, so, uh, what's going to happen is, um, uh, you, so you, this is your $100,000 worth of assets. 
Now the you're going to make say like ten thousand dollars profit um, on this each year. Uh, and um, what would you say, uh, George, on current interest rates? Would this be positively or negatively geared on average? You're the you're the the property guy. Oh, George, you're okay. on mute. So you've got a five hundred thousand dollar property, four hundred thousand mm -hmm. dollar loan. What's going to happen is it's going to be um, slightly negative until we get depreciation, and depreciation is going to make it positive. So on this property here, we're going to be depreciating $12,000 in the first year. Yep. Cool. So therefore, we really want to get we really want to get that money back of that depreciation because on average we're getting about $80,000 in the first 10 years from a $500,000 property. Gotcha. So so we've got um um uh, so we've $12,000 depreciation, we're going to have say uh $25,000 income. And what are our interest costs uh, at present? Like at the present, they're pretty low. But um, what I'd like to do um, is open up a cash flow calculator and go through a live example of this. Because yep. that way we could talk something real. Just open yep. up a cash cool. flow calculator here and I'll chuck in the numbers because I've got everything in there. Have prepared one earlier but we'll get there oh that's all right I, um so I, I haven't done one of these for a while because the coaches do it but um i'm just trying to get one open that's an excel and one of the, a new one that we've done recently cash flow. Then, then my then my um uh just rough figures here yeah let's just do rough figures because yep it is what it is so Basically, what's going to happen is the property is going to be negative, probably about probably about eighty dollars a week. Then you're going to get your, you know, let's say seventy yeah. dollars a week. Then you're going to get your depreciation. It's going to make it positive. And and, and how much is that? Um, uh, like uh, that's going to be something like uh, fifteen thousand um, uh, dollars interest. Four hundred thousand at three point five percent. Um, yeah, probably fourteen thousand interest. Yep. Cool. Yep. Uh, so that way, it's it's slightly uh, it's slightly negative. So it's cash flow positive, but um, uh, so we've got twenty five thousand. Uh, so twenty five minus fifteen um, minus. Uh, so, so 25 minus 15 equals, you know, you've got $10,000 cash. Um, but then you're going to say minus 12 um, uh, equals, you know, $0 tax. Okay. So you're actually making slight losses in there. Yes. So on paper, anyway. Uh, paper. Yeah, you're making, you're making paper losses. Now, uh, so, so this is tax negatively geared. So this is the, uh, one of the disadvantages of a trust. Um, in that that loss that might that um, two thousand dollar tax loss is trapped in the trust. Yep. Um, it, it it's trapped there. So 
Um, if you're making, you know, say you got a, a husband and a wife, and uh, I used the example I used before, the husband's making $80,000 a year and the wife is making $40,000 a year because she's working part-time. Um, and you'd say, cool, well, if we, the ideal scenario is if we could, um, you know, minus $2,000 on the husband's income, which will, you know, is going to get you about $600 cash back. Yeah, well, um, what we're going to do really is um, we're going to try yeah. to get the whole 12K off his income. Oh, yeah. So, so, like, so let's, be 12, so let's, let's start. So yeah. let's say we've got 12,000 paper loss. Remember, it's a paper loss, not a real one. Correct. So 12,000 times 37%. So that's, we're trying, that's what we're trying to really get at the end of the day. Yes. Yep. We'll accept that that offsets his $10,000 income. Yeah. So, so, um, so we've got a $2,000, like, so um, we've essentially, like, there's like $600 worth of, of cash that's sort of trapped in the family trust. That's the, that's the negative of it in this scenario. Yeah, now, over time, as you pay the loan like, down. If I can just sorry. jump in for a second. It's going to be more than that. It's just um, with a property like this, because normally what we do is use equity. So we've got a whole load of $500,000 plus stamps and legals. So it's actually going to be around break even or minus one or $2,000 without the negative gearing. So we're going to be losing between twelve to 14000 in on paper. Yep. And that's why we've got that twelve to fourteen grand stuck in the family trust, which we don't want stuck there. So let me show you how to get around that. Great. That's, that's, what, that's why we're here. So let's just say, um, uh, so the husband is on $80,000 and he's, and so how much did you say they're going to borrow? Let's just, let's just use the same example. He borrows 400,000. 500,000. He borrows 500,000. Yep. Cool. And cause he's got equity um, in, in something else that he's using. Yeah. Cool. So he's going to use, borrow $500,000 yeah. uh, from the bank. And so what he's going to do is he is going to, uh, we're going to buy this property in a unit trust. Mm -hmm. uh, now this is just, this is a special unit trust. This is not a garden variety unit trust. The unit trust buys, um, uh, buys this property. Mm -hmm. Now the husband, he is going to invest in this. Uh, he's going to invest for 500,000 units in there. Now he has the right to um, all of the income and capital of this. Um, this is going to be deductible for him. So now, now, now what's going to happen here at the trust level, they're going to get $25,000 income minus $12,000 um, depreciation. Uh, and then but now he is going to get what? What do we say? Like twenty thousand um, dollars interest. Let's just say. So now, um, so what's going to happen is there's going to be a profit of uh, thirteen thousand dollars paid to him each year. That uh, please. So he's going to have thirteen thousand dollars profit paid to him, but he's going to get a twenty thousand dollar deduction. Uh, so he's going to get a total $7,000 like reduction 
uh, which in, in real terms means he's going to make probably about three and a half, I mean, about, about $3,000 um, from this structure each year. Um, and all we've done is just fig fiddled with the structure. Now, I want someone who's um, thinking of the asset protection to tell me the problem with this. Because there is one glaring problem, which I'll then show you how to fix. Who can see the problem? So he has units. Oh, was that one? Was that a someone's that someone that, there? Stop that someone just joining us. Um, okay. so he owns 500,000 500, units. Units, yep. Oh, um, he's got an asset there, hasn't he? He has a $500,000 asset. It's as if he owns it in his own name. Uh, so if he went bankrupt, the trustee in bankruptcy would take these units off him. Yep. Uh, and um, uh, that's right. Yeah, cool. I can see that. Uh, hi, Lisa. Yeah, I can see absolutely that is his problem. It is not protected. Mm -hmm. uh, so what we can do, so you cannot use a garden variety unit trust to do this. Um, what we would do though, is we're going to have one unit issued over here to a family trust. Now, um, and we're going to change these, or these are not ordinary units. These are capital protected units. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. special special units and these units say that he has the right to the um, um, uh, to the income and the capital unless he is a subject of matrimonial attack or bankruptcy and I just saw a question that popped up that said is a unit trust like a company yeah conceptually it's the trust that is the most similar to a uh, to a company um, so is a unit trust similar same as a corporate trustee no uh, uh, a corporate trustee is is the person um, who holds the property um, uh, for the benefit of the trust, uh, and they don't really do anything though. Um, uh, so, uh, remember when I said that trusts were set up in um, uh, well came into being in the Crusades when the, when the uh, Crusaders went went off to the Holy Lands. And they and they want and they um, but someone had to hold their castles. They didn't have companies back then, and so what they did is they got a trusted friend to and they transfer the title into the trusted friend's name, and um, and then that person would hold it for the benefit of their families and their children, etc., until they return from the crusades. And so that so the trust. Uh, so, so the uh, so the trustee is the is the person who holds the property um, on the trust. So technically, here there is a corporate trustee, um, trustee. But we don't really need to worry about that. Like, um, uh, so so there's like the corporate trustee is actually the person who's on the title of the property, um, and. And they're holding that property for your benefit or the benefit of whoever is listed in the trust. So um, it's kind of the corporate trustee plus the unit trust. That's what makes up the unit trust. So now here, so let's go back to these capital protected units. 
So now he gets the benefit um, of this house uh, and um, $7,000 tax deduction there versus um, uh, like only a couple thousand dollars, like a couple thousand dollars lost in, 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 the, in the discretionary trust. Um, so he's getting his negative gearing. He's still making the same income. He's still making positive $13,000. Uh, and, um, and if he goes bankrupt, he loses out. Um, uh, so so these, these units, he loses his interest to them until he's not bankrupt. And, and this family trust here has, has, the, has the rights um, to the property. Um, now, uh, who's familiar with land tax in South Australia? Oh, sorry, why don't I just ask, um, uh, um, just pull up some of these. Uh, there's another couple of chat questions that have come up. Um, so Ryan Bowles, hi, hi Ryan, says, is a unit trust similar, the same as a corporate trustee? No, your setup looks like a, um, a corporate, uh, so a, a company with a corporate slash corporate trustee and the trust. Yes, that's, that's, a, that's a very standard um, setup here. Uh, now, uh, Lisa has said, but doesn't his personal tax liability go up? Uh, no, um, what's, what happens there is he has, um, so there's $25,000 income made by, the, um, made by the property minus uh, $12,000 of depreciation. And uh, so then he gets $13,000 of income, but uh, so then, so his income does go from $80,000 to 93. So, you, so you're, you're right, thank you for paying attention there, but he's also got $20,000 of, of interest deduction. So his income goes down from, goes from 93 down to 73, which is $7,000 less. So that's, that's how I've arrived at that. So his personal tax liability goes down. Absolutely. So, um, and um, uh, we'll keep that depreciation for the next 10 years. So, correct. Okay. Yeah. And so, the, um, uh, so something else that's cool. So, I was just saying um, uh, so in South Australia, the, the land tax. Uh, now, if you, let's just say instead of being an investment property, this was his principal place of residence. Uh, uh, so, if, his, if your principal place of residence was owned at a family trust, um, does any, what, does any, what do people think? Um, do you have to pay land tax on it? Well, I bet with a lawyer like you, probably not, but otherwise you would have to. Yeah, yes. <laughs> so with a family trust, yeah, you, yeah you'd have to. Um, but the, the way the rules are designed, uh, and they're only nine months old, uh, these rules, the new land tax changes, um, with this unit trust, um, this uh, capital protected unit trust, if this was his family home, um, he would not have to pay land tax um, on this property. So it's protected um, and, he, um, uh, uh, and he gets the uh, land tax exemption. And um, uh, I'd assume he wouldn't have to pay any capital gains once he sold it either. 
Yeah, what we'd need to do there is we do a special lease, um, which I call the um, uh, which I call the main residence lease. Um, uh, do you want me to explain that one? I want to maybe start guys, a fresh one. Want to hear it, guys? The main main okay. lease. We're getting main the residence lease. I, I like it. It's getting. Yep, we do. Yes, cool. So, so. First of all, so what we're doing here, so um, let's just go back. This works with any kind of trust. Uh, so now Ra Ra Ravi has just said, um, can I transfer my property to a trust and then rent it out back to me? Yes. Um, the problem that it's gonna, it's gonna occur is that you have uh, stamp duty on the transfer. So you really want to work out how to do the asset protection without incurring transaction costs. Like you don't want to pay $20,000 of stamp duty. No, um, exactly. that, that defeats the purpose. Ken also said, so is the bank loaning the money to the unit trust or the actual person? Um, it's, oh, so, so Ken said, um, uh, so, yeah, so is the bank, uh, or how does the, Ken said, how does the unit trust achieve a borrowing capacity? And is the bank loaning the money to the unit trust or the actual person? So in the example that I was giving, the person is borrowing the money and the um, and the trust is buying it and going guarantor. Now, in this, this was actually uh, uh, in this unit trust scenario. It's quite. It's uh, the bank gets a mortgage over the house, and they are and they are lending money to an individual, um, and like that's that's quite simple. Yep. Um, Lisa asked a question as well. Can you set this type of structure up retrospectively? You can't uh, money though. That's the problem. Yeah. So you could. Um, uh, yeah, it's a, stamp duty is the real killer in in, in these. So no, if you've got, sorry, it's probably not worth it once you've done it because I think what you explained um, once you go through the scenario, if you can explain how you can borrow money, your your family trust can get a loan against your equity. That's probably the best thing to do retrospectively. Yeah, let's just go over that. Um, and, and, and I went through this with the earlier one. So let's just say instead of. Um, uh, and um, so I'm going to go over what I went in the, the early seminar, but we're going to go into a bit more detail in this. Uh, so um, let's just say I had, uh, so husband and wife had purchased a property um, in their name jointly, uh, which, you know, maybe, uh, maybe they weren't in particularly risky circumstances and now things have changed, or maybe they've just become more aware of uh, asset protection. And so let's just say we've got a $500,000 property. Um, they've got, you know, uh, $200,000 of equity and $300,000 um, owed to the bank. What we're gonna do is we're going, we need to protect this equity here. So what's gonna happen is your family trust is gonna write you a check for $200,000, okay? And in return for that payment of $200,000, um, uh, you're, um, you're going to give them a mortgage, okay, um, of, uh, over that money. And you're going to have to pay it back at some stage. And then now that you've got this check for $200,000, what are you going to do with this? You're going to gift it, it to the trust. So, um, so then the, the check's done. It doesn't need to be presented. But now we have um, we have moved effectively two hundred thousand dollars from your personal name into the into the name of the trust. 
Now, so this is, um, I usually suggest this if you, um, uh, if you've purchased property in this way uh, in your names and you're trying to protect it later. So uh, now this way, if the husband goes bankrupt and 90% of bankruptcies are uh, men, then what will um, then what the trustee in bankruptcy will look at his list of assets. They will see that he is on the title for this, but he will the trustee will uh, in bankruptcy will say this has no value, um, and uh, and then allow the wife to buy it off them for whatever the value is. Now maybe um, the like maybe the the maybe the let's say the property goes up and it's worth five hundred and ten thousand dollars. Um, then maybe the wife has to buy it off the trustee in bankruptcy for $10,000. You lost 10,000 rather than 200,000. Generally what we do is we put interest on this amount um, and try and match that interest with the increase in value of the property. So there's no, there's never any equity. Um, sometimes there's a little bit of gap there, you know. Um, so, so this is what you do to, um, if you've got the property in your name. Now, from an asset protection point of view, you know, this is this is very strong. This I've seen this um, um, uh, like defended a number of times. I literally have three matters like this on my desk at the moment, um, where this has been set up and a trustee in bankruptcy is attacking it. Um, uh, two of them, it's 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 fine. Um, one of them, the they drafted it themselves, um, and the wife dra drafted it, um, and. Um, they uh, uh, and unfortunately it wasn't drafted well, and they went to a conveyancer and, and, and they lodged it, and and so we've had to have a big fight with the, with the trustee in bankruptcy um, over whether we can protect the asset. And I'm hopeful that we'll be successful, but it's not it's not clear because they drafted themselves. Um, but it's um, drafted for you now. But in the case, what about when you want to use equity to purchase up investment property? Well, in this scenario here, it's very easy to do because. Um, you got the flexibility. Is that right? Correct. So if uh, now goes up two hundred grand. We can still use this equity and get a loan. Can't correct. We? Uh, now this can be an unregistered mortgage, so your bank doesn't need to see this. I don't even know this. Uh, oh, just correct. Uh, now, Ravi, you said um, uh, in the earlier session it was shown there is a way to save stamp duty and transfer current owned property uh, to a trust. No, what I said is that we can transfer current owned property between the husband and the wife. Yeah, you can do it to a spouse, but not to a trust. Yep. Um, and now, uh, now Ryan says for married couples, um, first property, both working in the business together, do you recommend joint tenants or tenants in common? Now, um, uh, but, uh, my pleasure, Ravi, um, uh, happy to clarify. Now, Ryan, um, do you recommend joint tenants or tenants in common? Now, if you're both working in the business together, you are both at risk. Now, if it was just the husband um, working in the business and the wife not, um, the easiest thing to do is the wife purchases the property in her name. It's really simple. The second best thing to do is a tenancy in common. Well, it's not maybe second best, it's like third best or something, but it's, it's worse. The worst is joint tenancy, which is the default when you purchase property. So I just want to say, so um, husband and, and wife are purchasing a property, a joint tenancy the joint tenancy means that whoever die uh, whoever survives who 
who dies last gets the whole of the property. Now that's really convenient from an, from a, a, uh, an asset, like an estate planning perspective, because it just goes to the other person, that's simple. But it means that um, if the husband goes bankrupt, the trustee in bankruptcy can take 100% of the property. Now, sometimes there are some arguments that you can run afterwards um, that, the, that the wife has contributed and like it could be very difficult though. Like um, the trustee in bankruptcy will go after 100% of the property though. Um, a joint tenancy, uh, sorry, sorry, a- um, Tenants in common. Uh, tenants in common. Um, a um, tenants in common. Um, that means that you each have a, um, to say 50% each, you have a specific percentage, just like you might have shares in a company or units in a unit trust, you have a percentage of this property and that's yours. And it could be 50, 40, 30, 10, 5, 1, whatever. And that is your property and you don't have any, any entitlement to anything else. And what, and what happens is then if you die, that property goes in accordance with your will. So if you were to tenancy in common, you would be at risk of 50%, say, to say it's 50% each. Better of 100%, correct? So Yeah, it's better than 100%. Yeah, you quarantine. But what's, what, what I would do if both, um, so if the husband is just working in the business, the easiest thing is to just cut him out and, you know, and the husband owns 0%. Yeah, but what if and, they're both in the business? Yeah, if they're both working in there, um, I, I wouldn't have it in, in your names. I would have it purchased in a family trust. Okay. Um, and you'd do the I'd go trust. straight so to... Obviously, they'd want to get um, the tax deductions. So you'd go straight to the unit trust that you explained before? Yeah, we could go to a unit trust. Depends. If, is this an investment property or your main residence? It's investment property. Investment property. Yeah, I'd go for a um, uh, one of these uh, unit trusts. That's, that's what I'd go straight to. Mm -hmm. um, and then, and then, so then we would have... Yeah, we'd go back to uh, here. Let's go back to this one. Uh, we go back. I'd go. I'd go for a capital protected unit trust. Adrian, do you mind sending me those diagrams when we finish, so I can put them? In of the course. Yep. Now, um, Ken's got a question, and I might be able to answer this one. So, I have just signed a contract on a property through Positive Property last week, but it won't be settled for several months. Is it too late to use this structure? Ken, um, first thing to do is probably book in a chat with Adrian or his team to make sure the structure is going to suit you because it all depends. But also, um, if you've signed a contract, we may have a possibility of getting the legal team to change the contract over. Because in in um, in Queensland, it's different to South Australia, Adrian, where you can't mm. do annual nominees. You have to actually put the actual person or the entity in the contract. Right. But yep. I've seen it quite often happen where people... And I actually, I had one of our clients do this a couple of months ago. He decided, he had it in his name, decided to put it in a, in a trust, a family trust. You actually dealt with this mm. person. And mm. um, what he did, he wrote to the lawyer and they just redone the contracts. And it worked. Yep. That's so, it. That's, that's the way of doing it. Yeah. So we could probably easily redo the contract if you needed to. But I would suggest talking to Adrian and his team first. Yep. Uh, so, so now I Does just... Does Adrian have a special rate for Black Belt members? Good question. Now, um, uh, George asked for a favor for me um, and um, 
uh, I said, what could you do for members? And I said, look, I'm happy to have someone of my, uh, from my um, team um, have, an, have an hour chat with, with one of your Black Belt members um, at, um, at no cost. Uh, so I usually charge $450 an hour plus GST. Um, so that's, you know, uh, like this is a, you know, a very valuable thing. Um, happy to uh, have a chat run, run through with, with um, what you're doing and, uh, and see if, if that's of assistance. Um, so what's the, uh, best, what's the best way to book in with you, Adrian, um, or, or your team? Should we organize? I, I would, I would send an email to, um, um, uh, to admin, A-D-M-I-N at cartlandlaw.com. I oh, thank you, this admin at cartlandlaw.com and, um, uh, and, uh, and say, look, I'd like to have a, I'd like to book in a time with someone to talk about um, asset protection. You know, um, say you, that you're um, one of the black belt members, and um, uh, and we'll uh, and, uh, and and we'll arrange the whole thing. Adrian, uh, I'm, in I'm so grateful for that. So thank you so much for doing this for our members, because I, I really appreciate. It. I think everyone else does too. Thank you, my pleasure. Uh, now, is, um, there's another question from. Um, um, <laughs> thank you, Belinda. Um, uh, so. Um, uh, do the, uh, uh, Belinda uh, okay, said, uh, do the banks then need to be involved if you put it in a unit trust after signing contracts? Um, and um, so, uh, uh, yes, the banks need to be in, uh, you're involved. You're going to need to tell your banks um, it, like if you're uh, transferring something into a, into a trust or if you're purchasing it in there, you're going to need to tell them about it. Um, now, um, here's one thing that I have banged my head against the wall for years, and I have found like the coolest like fix to this recently. So, um, uh, is this is this being recorded? Yes, it is. Is this being distributed widely? No, only to Black Belt. Okay. Okay. No one else. No one gets this. This is the private. Innocent. Okay. Good. 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 Okay. So. Um, banks can um, uh, banks often have documents reviewed by um, uh, their internal lawyers, but they are generally like they are yeah, often like law clerks who have no idea what they're talking about. Now, I'm a trust lawyer for a living. I'm the the chair of the Society of Trust and Estate Practitioners. Or I'm the on the on the um, uh, I'm on the, uh, the the committee for the um, uh, Trust and Estate Practitioners. Uh, so um, in 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 in, uh, in in South Australia, heavily involved um, in in this. I know a lot about trusts. I've written my own trust deed from zero, um, from a blank piece of paper. Now I have for years had idiots, um, um, and I've written some articles on this um, of uh, lawyers uh, or, or baby lawyers uh, who have no idea what they're talking about. Um, cause problems with me in banks um, and even for just vanilla things someone has as a trust involved as soon as you're successful in business you have some trusts in your structure and then um, I've had lawyers say we need to like resettle the whole trust which which means tax on everything I've said you need to get I've had demands to have dead people sign off the trust deed. I've had um, uh, just total misunderstanding about the basics of trusts. That is to say, people who, like lawyers purported like who know less than what you guys know now after an hour se seminar. 
and they apparently do reviewing this. Now, here's my secret that I found like um, only a few months ago is that um, for a number of banks, you um, like if you pre present your trust deed, it doesn't need to be the bank's in-house lawyers or recommended lawyers that, um, uh, that review it. Um, and, uh, and I found that like, and so the broker can, can say, um, I want a, a lawyer to review it. And they ends up having a form that says, I'm a lawyer, I have reviewed this trustee, it does X, Y, Z, which is which the bank requires, and they sign off on it. Now, there are certain things that lawyers generally don't do, which is sign off on guarantees. This is not a guarantee, this is a review of the trustee. And um, and I once I worked this out just by accident six months ago and found out that I could do it. And I was so pleased. I went to like a whole bunch of clients and and they had all, all of their all of their trustees stuck with the bank. And I'm like, cool, I'm gonna review it. I'm gonna tell the bank that this is fine. And it was done. And the bank says, cool. Like they have someone who's clever, who knows what they're doing, actually review it. Um, and I was like, um, uh, like, you know, uh, I'm not taking any risk. Like I know what the trust does. And if I say that this person, uh, the trust has the ability to borrow, you know, has the ability to, to lend money to, to, you know, to buy property, then it does. Yep. Um, so often banks come back with just stupid things because there's someone who doesn't know what they're talking about um, doing this. So that is like, if you have problems with the banks and the trust uh, and trust, I have a, um, uh, I have a, 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 I've had a lot of fun and I found out like a bunch of tr tricks to get through them. Um, you know, um because trusts like what you can really get into this um there's a difficult position um accumulating wealth so if you're really successful like like when i uh, clients who have you know uh, who have dozens of trusts and companies you know and dozens of properties um the banks don't give them problems you know around things like the contents of their trustees like it's it, it's really easy when you're a cop and a teacher buying your principal place of residence, you don't have any trust involved. When you're going, when you're trying to accumulate wealth, then suddenly that's when you can, you know, you start getting into, I'm going to buy it in a trust. And, you, you know, you know a bit, but not a lot. That's, that's the people that the banks try and push back into the vanilla path to being a salary owner. There's actually a lot of pushback from institutions to try and push you into that salary owner, you know, and not getting your cash and your money out before, um, uh, you know, uh, like spending money on a pre-tax basis, you know, spent, you know, getting it, ha having the more like suitable um, structures. And it's because someone in a bank just wants to stamp it and not think, and they don't care whether that causes risks to you or not. Um, so um, I wanted to, you know, I'll give that like, you know, heads up that there can actually be some pushback. And it, uh, this is why you need people who are confident around you. Like I have pushed back against this so many times. Um, uh, and I know that when a bank says, oh, here's this clause, I want, I'm not going to change. I don't want to lend money to his trust. I push back and say, you're an idiot. Like put someone who, on who knows what they're talking about. And I'll actually send you an article that I wrote um, after after the session, um, where I've listed a whole bunch of like dumb things that I've had lawyers tell me, um, uh, and um, 
so you know, please don't mention, uh, don't distribute this, but you can distribute the um, uh, the article. Okay, excellent, excellent. Yeah. Thank you for that. Look, um, from first hand, obviously Adrian's my personal tax and asset protection lawyer, and we had several years ago. I was getting some loans, and I was it was all in trusts. And they sent me all these guarantee letters. Remember that big pile that yes. I had? Massive. Yes. And I, they sent a whole box. And Adrian said, George, just tell them where to go. We're not signing anything. And I did. And they said, okay, you can have the loan anyway. But they were actually <laughs> pretending that they wouldn't give me the loan without all these guarantees and guarantors and stuff like that. Yep. It's fascinating what, what we, you can get away with when you know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, um, it's just a bit of a, a, bit of a push. Um, now, I had, we had a question from uh, Ravi here. Um, uh, you, he's already got a family trust with a, with a, with a corporate trustee. Uh, do I have to change anything in that structure, like creating a unit trust under that? Or is it a, a new job to have a unit trust? So this really depends on what kind of property you're purchasing and what tax pro profile it's in. So if you're positively gearing a property, it's totally fine to have it in a family trust. Um, if you're going to be negatively gearing it, um, you're going to want to use a, uh, a capital protected unit trust. Um, and a capital protected unit trust is not something you can find on the internet. Um, I want to tell you that. Yeah, so um, I suggest the capital protected unit trust because everyone on the program is using, using our depreciation to get our cash flow. So we need to do that yeah. anyway. That's it. Yeah. So, all right, so, so these, are, these are really sexy. Like I just want to say, um, uh, I have put a lot of, time and money into developing these um, uh, and uh, and they fit um, they can help you if you've got a business you've got money um, in your company so there's a whole bunch of rules that that try and stop you from paying just the corporate tax rate so if just say you're you're you've got a business and you're paying 27 and a half percent which is much better than 46 and a half percent plus the Medicare levy on you know on the top marginal tax rate so you say, cool, I'm paying 27.5% and I want to, and I, but um, I want to spend that money to buy a property. Um, there is actually a whole bunch of rules called Division 7A, which prevent you from doing that um, or try and tax you on the way out um, and basically force you to declare a dividend and pay tax. And um, now what, what we do instead is we can purchase the property in one of these capital protected unit trusts. We can actually pull the money out of that company um, without having to pay tax on the way out. So you still pay 27.5%, but you don't have to pay top-up tax, which makes it amazing. Um, and so we can use these to not pay top-up tax to get your um, you know, uh, principal place of residence land tax exemption if it's your principal place of residence. We can use this to negatively gear it if it is a negatively geared property. We capital protect it. Um, uh, it, it, it ticks all of these boxes. Um, and what I wanted to just finish with is I'll, I was showing before about, let's just say I have a family trust or, or, a, or a capital protected unit trust, but I'll just say with a family trust. And let's just say it owns um, your principal place of residence. So just say you've, you haven't thought so much about tax consequences. Um, uh, now I wanna say for land tax, if you actually, instead of having a corporate trustee, uh, you have a, an individual trustee, you might be able to get the principal place of residence exemption. Um, uh, if you have one uh, individual trustee. Now, if you have, um, but let's just say you're renting this out to yourself. You, when you sell this, and this makes capital gains, you will not get the principal place of residence exemption because it must be in your name. 
So, but we have a special type of lease that I call the main residence lease. Okay, and this is not an ordinary lease. This is a lease that says um, all of the capital gain that you make on this property has to be paid out to the uh, to the the tenant whenever you sell this. So what actually happens at tax law is that you make a capital gain on the lease rather than on the house here. And now you're making a capital gain on an ownership interest that is, um, is, a, is a house that is your principal place of residence, then you get the main residence CGT exemption. Wow. Bam. Yeah. So, um, so that uh, is um, like, that's how we can combine a whole bunch of, uh, of, of, of tax structures. So like, for example, I've just set up um, a number of people who have um, like their main residence in a capital protected unit trust. They have actually, because um, their main residence, they don't care about, um, about gearing, about um, negative gearing. So they have one capital unit in their name that gives them land tax. They have um, say, you know, a million dollars of um, income units issued to a company, issued to their like um, business, um, which is how they've got their money out of their business. Uh, they have then have a, uh, a main residence lease. So they get um, capital gains tax um, exemption. And then they have, um, and because it's in a trust with a capital protective unit, they have asset protection. Bam, big four. Wow. Pretty uh, mind blown. That was amazing. Uh, look, um, look, guys, when it comes to asset protection and tax, Adrian just runs rings around most people in Australia. <laughs> he knows his stuff. Oh, so, thank, thank you, Belinda. Yes. Um, yeah, look, there's, um, uh, there, there's a lot of, you know, uh, like this stuff can be very complex. Uh, and, you know, and the, uh, I do this, for a living and I don't do other things. Um, so I'm um, uh, ha happy, um, uh, yeah, so like this is why I know this inside out and backwards. Now I just saw um, a question from Ken, is it, oh, question above. Um, uh, and so it's Ken's question was, will the use of a family trust make it easier and cheaper to move our investment properties to our children when we die as part of the will? Well, yeah, so actually, so interestingly, um, if, if you pass the property, um, uh, so you can make wills directions, as I was talking about, or we can have, we can leave control of the trust un, um, uh, as part of your estate planning. Now, first of all, it will not form part of your will um, assets in your trust um, uh, if, it's, if it's set up correctly. And so that means that um, if your children have an expensive fight over this, uh, you know, or you have a, you know, an ex-spouse who's trying to make a claim on your estate or whatever, um, they cannot attack the, the assets in your trusts. They're not part of your estate. Um, so, so first of all, it can make it a lot cheaper because um, no one can attack it. Um, secondly, you don't need to transfer it. There's no probate fees. It doesn't go part of like the assets. Um, for lawyers in uh, in probate, um, it just continues on. There's no there's no disposal. There's no capital gains tax event, uh, and you know now you might need to think about it whether it's your main residence. And so we want to have these main residence leases and other stuff. Um, but uh, like, I have uh, no assets in my name. 
I mean, I maybe have like my phone. Uh, actually, no, my phone's owned by my company. Uh, I have nothing. Um, so, um, uh, so if I went bankrupt, like, I, I don't like everything's protected. And you went bankrupt, you know, your wife would have to buy another phone, another laptop, wouldn't you? Exactly. How is my company protected? Oh, because my company, the shares in my company, are owned by a discretionary trust, uh, and that is the default setup for all trusts. Uh, like if you're purchasing a, um, uh, you should have a family trust, which then owns the shares in your company. That is um, uh, structuring 101. Uh, and the reason why you do that is because the company is going to pay 27.5% tax, um, which is which is great. Then you're going to have, um, then if you pay dividends out, you can then stream those through, from the family trust out to different people. Um, and and family trust um, that the shares in the company are owned by the trust, and so that is separate to um, uh, uh, separate to all of your other assets. Like so, it's um, if you went bankrupt, you don't have the assets taken. Um, so that is um, um, uh, that's that's business structuring one hundred and one. Oh, and we've got one more question from Lisa. If you don't mind reading that out, and I think sure. You know, We've, we may have time for one more question. That's it, guys. We're going to... Cool. So, um, hi, Lisa. So, you said this is pretty complex. Who manages it all? And at what point is it necessary viable in regards to cost versus ROI? And how does an SMSF fit into it all? Great question. So, um, so first of all, these things are generally set and forget. Now, part of the reason why you give advice, like where you come for advice, is because I, you know, I'll say here is the thing that is suitable to your circumstances. And I have had plenty of people come through and they say, I want to do something. I just say, no, this is not suitable for you. Now, and I can tell you some of these things, like these things don't even make it onto my complex structure list. Like I have stuff that is 10 times more complex than this. Um, I have stuff that like other lawyers will look at and be like, holy crap, that is insanely complex. I have people say that those exact words as insanely complex. So, uh, and it's, and, and I have, and for those complex structures, I say to people like, you know, it's very important as part of the advice is go, this is suitable for you and this is not. Because I have seen um, people have structures that are more complex than is appropriate for them, um, totally flounder. Like it just makes their administration difficult. It makes, you know, they, they don't do them properly. They, um, uh, they uh, and, and then if, if you don't maintain the structure properly, then you can actually end up stuffing up the asset protection and the tax benefits that you wanted to get. Absolutely. So, so managing the ROI on the cost is very important. Yep. That's one thing Adrian's very good at because you're a commercial lawyer and you understand it's all about money. There's no Correct. point spending it, too much money to, you know, there's no point. It's a waste of time. I usually work on a rule of 10 to 1. Um, uh, if I say to someone, I'm going to cost you a thousand, this is going to, I'm going to, I'm going to charge you a thousand dollars and this chart, and you're going to save 10 to $20,000. Like that's fine. Like that, that makes sense. Uh, you know, if I said, I'm going to charge you $5,000 and it's going to save you 10,000. It's like, well, eh, is it, it's not really that sort of worth, like, is it really worth it? Um, you know, uh, so like I, I, I'm not going to lie. Like I, I'm expensive. Um, why? Because uh, like because I deliver value ten to twenty times what that is. And if I'm not going to deliver that value, I say I'm sorry. Like this isn't suitable for you. So like um, 
um, my, my, my cousin, my <laughs> hypothetical cousin, <laughs> do I actually have a cousin who's a cop, cop married to a teacher? You know, uh, I have a cop married to a teacher um, and, uh, you know, they say, hey, Adrian, you know, I want to set up a uh, land tax unit trust. You know, it's for our principal place of residence. I'd say, really? Do you, do you really want to? Like, I, I don't really, you know, I don't really see, see the need to that. Um, so now in, in terms of this stuff, um, all the things I've talked about today, um, you would generally have your, uh, you would, you would, we would set this up together and then you wouldn't see me again. You wouldn't see me again for 10 years or you know, until something breaks. Um, your accountant will, will typically manage this. Um, like all of the structures we've done, gone through here today are easily managed by accountant, an accountant. Um, these, are, these are all very, very common or to the extent that they're not common, for example, the main residence leases and the capital protection unit trusts, we'll usually do a letter of advice that explains how this is so that you can set and forget. And you can, uh, you can put it in your bottom drawer and go, I don't need to touch this until things break. Uh, that's your insurance policy. Excellent. So that's, that's um, you know, in terms of RI and in terms of um, self-planned super funds, um, yes, that's something um, to, to add, in, add into the mix. Um, uh, <laughs> The problem, the difficult, like I think self-managed super funds really up the level of complexity because they're like self um, superannuation law changes radically every 18 months on average and has for the last 20 years or 30 years. Um, every 18 months. Uh, so you uh, and the government, like all well, that. Uh, so the um, industry super funds hate self-managed super funds. That um, they, there's there's a lot of attack. Like there's there's lots of people who don't like it for their own po political um, reasons, um, and so there's a lot of complexity. There's a lot of juggling um, juggling around. Family trusts, the stuff that we're doing here, um, has been around for 50, 80 years, like, and is not going anywhere. Excellent. Well, look, guys, um, cool. thank you everyone for joining us tonight, Adrian. I really appreciate you, um, you know, spending two hours of us, one hour on the Facebook and one hour here. So thank you so much. You're an absolute legend. Keep up the good work and enjoy your evening. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you, guys. Thank you, George, for having me. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening. I'm grateful for all our listeners around the world. If you found this podcast valuable, please share with someone that might find this useful. And please join our tribe of purpose-driven investors, increasing income and impact in our Facebook group, Positive Property. Please note, we have a multi-million dollar property portfolio and a passive income. I've become incredibly successful at investing in property. The fact of it is, however, many people may find investing in property challenging. It's not easy. It takes a lot of hard work. However, becoming educated to make an informed decision and having the right advisors gives you the tools you need to succeed. The most important part of this formula, however, is to actually take action and apply that knowledge. It is important to understand the information I share is of a general nature only and is not taking into account your unique circumstances. If you're considering investing in any asset class, you need to seek the advice of an independent professional advisor who will be able to look at your specific situation. Be sure your advisor has actually achieved the kind of results you're seeking. Many won't have, so beware. We've taken great care putting those educational resources together. We'd be surprised if you didn't find any errors or omissions. If you do, our legal team says we have to say we're not responsible for those. In fact, as with all things, even your success, we're not responsible. That responsibility always has and always will come down to you and the actions you take. 
We're passionate about supporting you in that process and helping you increase your ability to create wealth, live the life you desire, provide all the things you dream of for you and your family. Thank you.